All right. Well, congratulations. I want to congratulate you all. You have made it through seven weeks of I Am Statements. This is it. Today, we are going to complete our journey through the I Am Statements of Jesus in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to John chapter 15. Go ahead and turn there. If you don't, that's okay. The pertinent scriptures are going to come up on the screen for you this morning. A couple of years ago, well, many years ago now, I was a freshman in college and I had the desire to really enjoy the college experience. And I think the most important thing about college is intramural sports. And so I decided that I would get my dorm team together and we would go and we'd hold tryouts. And, and I had a big dorm and I thought, I, I'll be the coach and we'll get our dorm together, we'll play some softball. So I get a group of guys together, including one of our missionaries, Pastor Josh Rice. He was, he was on that initial team. And, and we went out to the practice field and, uh, and, and we, we, we picked the team, we got a good team together, and while we were on the practice field that day, I didn't have a chance to hit. There were just too many guys. Well, obviously, I'm the player coach, so I didn't need to try out. So the very next week, we get back out there with the team, and, and, and I wanted everybody else to get their BP in first, their batting practice, and so I decided that I would, I would go last that day because I, I wanted to be sacrificial, you know, and let the other guys take batting practice first. So we had some really good players. There were some beautiful line drives, some things that when we got in the real stadium would have been a home run, and, and guys were knocking the cover off the softball, and I waited till last to show what I had. And I got in there to batting practice, and I got up there to the plate, and, and, and they pitched me the ball, and I popped out to the shortstop. And so they pitched another one, and I popped out to the shortstop again. And I kept popping out to the shortstop over and over and over and over again. I might have hit some weak, some weak uh, singles down the, down the left field line, but, but it was very, very embarrassing. Here I was the coach of the team, we had just cut guys the week before, and I can't hit it out of the infield. And so I, I, I was so embarrassed, it was one of the most embarrassing experiences of my entire life, and I remember going back to the dorm and my roommate being like, it's okay, Skiff, you just had a bad day, it happens to all of us, and I'm like, bud, dude, everybody can hit a softball, and I can't get it out of the infield, I don't know what's wrong with me, I'm not a good athlete, I know that, but I'm not a terrible athlete either. So he said, it's no big deal, you'll hit it next time. We went out the next time, and guess what? I started popping out to the shortstop again. High fly balls that only went 40 feet. It was the most embarrassing time of my life. And I didn't know what to do. I, I was like a golfer with the yips. I didn't know what to do. It was terrible. I was so embarrassed. And here I'm the leader of the team, and I can't hit it out of the infield. I didn't know what to do. I went back to my dorm room. I said, bud, I don't know what's going on. I know I'm not a good athlete, but I am not this bad an athlete. Everybody can hit a softball. He goes, I don't know what to tell you, Skiff. So we got up for our third practice, and I, and, I, and I prayed. I prayed, Lord, do not let me be embarrassed in front of all these guys again. I, I, cannot, I cannot handle being embarrassed. And the ball came in, and I hit it into the outfield. And the ball came in again, and I hit it into the outfield. Now, not everything was a hit. Some were caught, but I was, I was clearing the infield, which for me was massive progress. And so I, I ended up hitting, and the guys were all encouraged for me. And, of course, they don't want me to stink because I'm on their team. And, 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 and we finished the practice, and everybody was giving me high fives like, Skiff, we don't know what that was all about, but we are really excited that you're hitting the ball now. And all of a sudden, a guy named Big Steve looked at me, and he was Big Steve for the next four years. And Big Steve looked at me, and he goes, Skiff, have you been wearing your glasses the last two practices? Because you're wearing them today. 
And I said, no, I am not. I wasn't wearing my glasses. And he said, no, you weren't wearing your glasses. Well, guess what I did not forget to do for the rest of my intramural career? was to wear my glasses. Something that simple made all the difference. What I want to talk to you about a simple change that we can make in our lives today, a change that Jesus desperately wants us to make because Jesus is serious about us winning the game. And I want to talk from that I want to talk about that from John chapter 15 where Jesus gives us the last of the I am statements and he talks about being the true vine. He says in verse 1 of chapter 15 of the book of John, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, they're thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, this is a very interesting I am statement. I'll tell you why I think that it's interesting. It's interesting because the other six I am statements really have us in a very passive role as people. You know, we're, we are to believe. We are to partake. We are to follow. We, we are to do something that, that is spiritual and internal with what Jesus has said about himself. But this particular I am statement really turns the, the focus on us now. The focus of the other I am statements were very much focused on who Jesus was, but this particular I am statement really turns the focus on who we are to be. This is where the rubber hits the road for these I am statements. In essence, the the sixth and now seventh I am statement are leading us to a moment now where the rubber hits the road for us and we are to respond to what we have taken in as people who have heard these I am statements. But we have to start with who Jesus says he is, because if we don't start with who Jesus says he is, we're not quite sure who we are supposed to be. And Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine. A little bit later on in in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, but here he says, I am the true vine. Now, most of you recognize verse 5, don't you? I am the vine, you are the... But not as many people remember, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Maybe it's not as succinct, I don't know. But Jesus says, I'm the true vine. Now, now that implies that there is a false or faulty vine, does it not? That implies that there is a vine that has not been the vine that's the vine supposed to be. You say, well, what is that vine? Who is that vine? And what, what makes Jesus the true vine? Well, the vine, the untrue vine, the vine that had not been able to produce fruit, if you will, is actually the nation of Israel. You see, Jesus is making a very bold and audacious claim, and all of his I am statements are bold and audacious for two reasons. One, because every time he says it, he says that I am that I am the the vine, or I am that I am the resurrection and the life. He's claiming to be co-equal with God the Father every time he does this. But the other reason they're controversial is because he's going to blow up an understanding that people have about what life is all about and what faith is all about and what religion is all about. Israel believed that they were the vine, 
In fact, there's almost a dozen scriptures in the Old Testament that refers to Israel as God's vine or God's grapevine. Some of the most famous ones are Psalm chapter 80, Isaiah chapter 5, Ezekiel chapter 15, but it's all over the Old Testament where Israel is referred to as the vine. They self-identified as the vine. You know, the early Christians had symbols like the Cairo for Christ or the fish that helped them self-identify as Christians. Well, the Jews of that time, the Jews of Jesus' time, identified with the symbol of the vine as the symbol of the nation of Israel. In fact, the last monarchy, the Maccabees, otherwise known as the Hasmoneans, they actually printed money that you can find today if you Google it. They printed money, and guess what was on the back side of their money? A grapevine. Because that was the national symbol of Israel. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's making a very bold and audacious claim. He's saying, in essence, Israel, us, what, 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 this, what this nation has become is a corrupted vine. Now, it's interesting that Jesus had to say this. And I'll, say, I'll tell you why it's interesting that Jesus had to say this. It's interesting that Jesus had to say, I'm the true vine, because if you get into all the passages of the Old Testament about Israel being the vine, they're not the most happy things in the world. It, it, it goes something like this. The narrative goes something like this when the Old Testament talks about Israel as the vine. Israel was loved by God. They were brought as a seed out of slavery in Egypt. He kept them safe and provided for them in their wanderings in the wilderness. He gave them a land that is flowing with milk and honey. He blessed them and set them up from, for great success. That's how most of these passages start. And then it says, but you have failed. Isn't that interesting? It says, you have failed. So these passages all talk about Israel being God's grapevine and that they are loved by God, but most of them also talk about the fact that Israel has failed in their God-given mission. Now, just thinking about the analogy, what makes a grapevine fail? Just think about that. It fails if it doesn't produce grapes. Doesn't produce fruit, doesn't produce grapes. Israel had failed to produce fruit. You do not grow a grapevine for beauty. There are glorious, beautiful daffodils outside my office this morning, covered in snow. Lovely. Lovely. But, but, but there is not a grapevine outside of my office window this morning. Because grapevines are not grown for their beauty. You don't, you don't plant a grapevine just to plant it. You plant it to grow fruit. Israel had fruit that God was after through them. Way back when God called Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation, he said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, through you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Through Israel I am going to bring salvation, if you will, to the entire world. Israel was given the law of God and the opportunity to be the light to the world, the place from which God's salvation would go forth, except they did not bear the fruit of God's salvation. And all, or most of these passages, I should say, have that theme. Isn't it interesting that in the midst of the Old Testament, looking at the Israelites and saying, you have failed, they said, yes, we have failed. What a beautiful symbol for our nation. I mean, that would be like if the state of Ohio decided to make our state flag a big Browns helmet. You get it? We would be celebrating our failure as a, as a state if we, were to, if we were to hoist 
the Browns helmet for our state flag. They are hoisting, if you will, the vine because what's going on in Israel? And Jesus found this to be true when he got there. When he came out of heaven, took on flesh, and got to Israel, and got into these verbal sparring matches with the Pharisees and others, he found out that Israel was completely enamored with God's love for them. But they were completely disassociated with their mission from God. They were so glad that God loved them. Thank you, Lord, that we are your people but we're not at all interested with bearing the fruit that God had called them to bear. So let's get back to Jesus. He says, I am the true vine. What I am doing here on this earth is to be the fruitful vine that Israel was not, and I will bear the fruit of salvation. That's why Jesus came. That's what all these I am statements are about. It's about Jesus coming to intervene in human history so as to bear the fruit of salvation. So you say, okay, I, I get who Jesus is. Now, now turn the page. Who are we supposed to be? And the interesting thing about this passage is it seems to be a very stern passage. There seems to be a lot of pruning going on, a lot of withering going on, things being thrown into the fire. This this is, a, this is a stern passage by Jesus in regards to us. So, so I'm going to ask you to just lay aside Matthew for just a minute as the, as the preacher guy for a minute and recognize that, that if something feels stern in this message today, it was meant to come across as stern because that's how Jesus spoke it, okay? Jesus was very stern in what he said, and he was stern about it because God is a serious fruit grower, God is serious about growing fruit. His mission and what he was doing in the world through Jesus Christ was deadly serious. It was deadly serious. Jesus died to bear the fruit of salvation. And if you want to go back to another I am statement that we talked about five weeks ago when he said, I am the light of the world, remember he gets into this verbal sparring match about light and witnesses and all these things. And, and, and he looks at the Pharisees and he goes, guys, guys. I have come so that you would not die in your sin. Jesus is deadly serious. God is deadly serious about growing fruit. And here's the interesting thing. He is the vine. He is the main uh, shoot, if you will, of this grapevine. And we are the outgrowth from him. And he says, guess what? You are to join me in bearing the fruit of salvation. That's why he's so serious and that's why in two places it sort of talks about some branches sort of being cut out and tossed to the side, and tossed to the side. Now you say, why is God in the business of sort of cutting out and tossing some branches to the side? Why would he do that? Well, I am a horrible gardener. I am absolutely despicable. I am the worst. Every garden I've ever planted has been an abject failure. But I want to tell you a short story about my basil plant. Back in November, we were having elections here, and some sweet woman came to the church, and, and, and she, she decided that she would give us a bunch of plants to sell, and all the proceeds could go to our children's ministry. We thought that was super sweet. So all these nice plants were out there, and all these bulbs and beautiful things, and then there was just this one pot with a brown, dead-looking shoot, and underneath it had a sign that said basil. And I love basil. Basil is the king of the herbs. I love me some basil. 
And so, so I, I said to Spring, I said, Spring, I, I don't know if that's going to sell. That looks dead. But if it doesn't sell, I would like to see if I can bring that back to life. And, and she says, that's fine. Well, it didn't end up selling. And so I took my little pot and my one brown shoot to my office. And I watered that pot. And I put it where it would get the most sun during the day. And I want to tell you, after, after watering it and giving it sun, after about five weeks, I had six beautiful basil leaves. It had sprung two new shoots. The, the little brown shoot had a couple of knobby little leaves on it, but then two new shoots, and, and I, had, I had basil. You're thinking, he is losing me right now. Here, I'm getting somewhere. I promise. So I take my five pieces of basil home. Gina and I have a lovely caprese salad, and I come back, and I continue to water, and I continue to, to give my basil plant some sun. And these shoots just keep growing taller and taller and taller, but guess what? No basil leaves. And I'm getting angrier and angrier because that first caprese salad was really good. And I wanted to have another one. And I realized I had to do something or, 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 or these stalks were just going to continue to grow and there's no point in just watering the stalks. So you know what I did? That middle stalk, that little brown one that had started, I cut that thing right off. I said, you haven't done anything for me. And then those ones that had given me those five little pieces, of, five little leaves of basil, I cut those way back. Now, I didn't know anything about horticulture, but I've heard about pruning things, so I just did it and see what happens. I counted this morning, I have 27 basil leaves growing. Caprese salad for everybody. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. You bring the tomatoes, I got the basil. Here's the point. Here's the point. What had to happen there? I had to get off some of that growth that was hindering the growth of the rest of the plant in order that the plant might bear fruit again. And we had a dead one that was still sucking up water and making these knobby little horrible leaves. That just had to get out of there. And then I had to cut back the rest so that it would be able to produce what it was supposed to be producing. So when God talks about pruning us, he wants to produce more in us that are bearing fruit, but those knobby, horrible, dead shoots, they've got to get out of there because they're sucking up the life and the nutrients of the rest of the plant. That's what's going on. So, so God is going to weed out those knobby dead things so that the rest of the plants can grow because some branches are sucking the life out of the other branches. Now you say, that sounds horrible and stern. Well, I didn't write it. I didn't write it, but that's what God says he is in the business of doing. Remember, he's deadly serious about his mission. I came so that you would not die in your sins. He's deadly serious about this. He can't have a dead, withering branch sucking the life out of the rest of the vine. He can't have that. I think back to, to the writer of Proverbs. He says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. That's the fruit. That's what we're after. If our lives are not a tree of life and our fruit is not the, the souls that have been won, we are missing the point we are just growing wild. And God has no desire for us to grow wild. We must, must, must bear fruit. Now you say, well, I know some people that I'd like you to cut right out of that vine, Pastor Matt. Just stop. God's the one who does that. And I want to tell you, he does that in his own ways. But suffice it to say this. God recognizes and sees when all that is growing among a person is power and pride and not the fruit of salvation. And he'll take care of that. 
He doesn't say we take care of that. We're given other orders. We're going to talk about our orders in just a minute, but let's not, let's not harp on the negative. Let's talk about the positive. Let's talk about my 27 basil leaves. Let's talk about what happens when God does prune. God loves to take a little and make it a lot. That's what he wants to do in you and in me. And he says, all we got to do is remain in the vine. He's the one who's going to do the pruning. In fact, Jesus said, God the Father is the vine dresser. He'll make sure that you are pruned the way you need to be pruned in order to bear the most fruit. So before we leave this point, I, I just have to address it because I know it's the elephant that is in the room. You are wondering, am I going to get thrown away by God? Am I the withering branch? Is it me? Well, look at verse 3 with me for a minute. Jesus says to the disciples who had the same fear, listen, guys, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, clean and prune in the Greek are from the same root word. Isn't that neat? Play on words. Jesus says, you're already pruned. You need to have no fear about your salvation. This is not a salvation message that he's giving us. He is not saying, there's going to be people that I just decide I don't like anymore. They're out. That's not what this is about. Jesus wants to calm their fears right there in verse 3. And I want to calm your fears today. This is not about cutting people out of salvation. What this is about is making sure that if there are dead, withering branches, they don't suck the life out of the rest of the vine. Does that make sense? Nobody said yes. All right, amen. Okay, we'll go with it, right? It makes sense. So, so don't worry, we're not, we're not worried about getting thrown away by God necessarily, but this is a stern warning. It is a stern warning that if we do not bear fruit, we're not going to be able to have any impact. But if we do begin to bear fruit, we're going to be able to have much more impact. And that's what Jesus wants us to focus on. Because you are responsible for exponential growth. That's the next point. That's what you're responsible for. Your branch in God's vine is meant to bear a lot of grapes. Your life is not about abiding in the vine and becoming the largest, largest branch in history, full of water and nutrients, having some nice leaves on it, but no grapes. God's not interested in that. He wants your branch to bear a lot of grapes. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to my disciples. How much fruit? Much fruit. A little fruit? No. Some fruit? Not quite. Much fruit? Now we've got it. Your branch, your connectedness to Christ is meant to have exponential growth. And you're like, oh, Pastor Matt, don't remember what an exponent is. Let's talk about that for just a minute. Most of you did not enjoy math. Neither did I. I thought I was brilliant at math. Then I got to college. Things changed. But I want to tell you that right there is an exponent. Right there, that's an exponent. I, I actually had Greg, Greg came to my office, he goes, and Greg's running the tech today, he goes, Pastor Matt, I, I don't know what Matthew 8.4 says, but I don't know that it fits your message. That is not Matthew 8.4. That is Matthew to the 84th power. Two to the second power is? Oh, very good, Tom Corey. <laughs> Three to the second power is? Nine, Right? We are to have exponential growth. Our branch is meant to reproduce and divide, reproduce and divide, reproduce and divide. As God does the pruning, more grapes come. That's what's supposed to be going on in us. 
And I love the fact that he uses a grapevine because it's not even single basil leaves. It's big clusters of grapes that's supposed to be coming out of our life. I loved when I looked up the definition for an exponent. They gave me the mathematical definition second. They gave me the, the verbal definition first, which is this. An exponent is a person who believes in and promotes the truths or, and benefits of an idea. We are exponents, folks. We believe in and promote who Jesus Christ is, and because of that, Christ is promising that if we remain in him, we're going to see the fruit of salvation in our life. How do we become a fruit-producing branch, though? How do we get to this exponential growth that God is looking for? Well, it's very simple. Jesus says, you have to abide in me. To abide in him. We have to remain in him or continue in him. We've got to stay connected to him who is the vine in order to bear fruit. You say, okay, uh, that, that, is, that is very heady. It's very ethereal. What does he mean by that? How do I abide in Jesus? Is abiding really that simple? I'm going to tell you, abiding is simple. Do I have to wear my cross necklace? No, but that's okay. Do I need to change my radio stations from sports talk to the fish? No, but that's okay. Do I need to have some pictures of Jesus in my house? I suppose, but it wouldn't be great renditions. What is it that helps us to abide in Jesus? Well, it's right here. It's right here. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Abiding has something to do with his words. Something to do with his words. Look at verse 3. Remember, we're not going to get thrown out of the branch. God's not going to take our way, our salvation. Verse, verse 3. What does it say? You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. There seems to be some power and some emphasis on the words of Jesus. There seems to be some interesting things about what Jesus has spoken into existence during his life and ministry. You know, there's another passage in John that talks about this. It's in John chapter 8, verse 31. And Jesus is sparring once again with the religious leaders in the temple courts, but he says something very interesting. He says in John chapter 8, verse 31, if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now look at verse 8 of John chapter 15. For this by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So disciples of Jesus, according to John 8, 31, John 15, 7, and 8, are those who bear much fruit because they remain, continue, and abide in the words of Jesus. That's what disciples are, but that's also what fruit bearing branches do. It might be important that we know what Jesus taught. It might be important that we are clear on what he has said, what he claimed, dare I say, the I am statements of Christ. It might be important that we know this because there are power in those words. 
We ought to know who he is, what he did, why he did it, how he did it, what he fulfilled, what he will fulfill, what he thinks of us, what he wants us to do, how he wants us to do it, why he wants us to do it. In essence, it's all here for fruit bearing. Everything we need, Jesus has demonstrated by his words and his life. In essence, all we have to do is look to Jesus and abide in Jesus and in the words of Jesus, and we have ample opportunity to bear fruit. But I suspect, I I strongly suspect, that many of us are going up to the plate with our glasses off. We know that we have every opportunity to really get a great hit. We know that, that, that all the conditions are right for us to produce for the team. But we're missing the fact that we can't see. We just can't see the target. We can't see the target because perhaps we really truly have not abided in the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. We're not truly so connected to him that every source of our life and nutrients comes from him. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We can't go up to the plate without our glasses on. We we have to know who Jesus was and what he said and what he did. They are our marching orders. They are life. They are life. We must remain, abide, continue, live it out daily. That's why we have these gospels to tell us the story of who he is. That's why we have these epistles to tell us how we live from this point forward because of who he is. It's why we have the Old Testament to prove what he fulfilled and why he came. It's why we have this word of God at our disposal so that we might come into full abiding and thereby bear fruit. Because you become what you abide in. You become what you abide in. A few months ago, my wife cursed me. You say, that that doesn't fit with what you usually say about her, but here it comes. She cursed me because at Christmas she bought me an Xbox One. Oh, it's a beautiful piece of machinery. And I have admitted to you before that I have a, 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 an addiction to Madden NFL football. It is sick. And I'm trying to get free. I sang My Chains Are Gone with gusto this morning. <laughs> really worked at it. And then she cursed me once more because on my birthday, she introduced me to something called NBA 2K18. And I found that all I could do was think about my roster. All I could do was manage LeBron and the boys. And I just couldn't stop. I found myself literally talking to my buddies about my video game roster. That is sick. I was abiding in NBA 2K and the glory of Xbox One. And so I had a heart-to-heart with my wife last week. And I told her I need to take a break because I'm becoming a sick, sick person. 
Well, I want to tell you, there is an abiding that can make you a well, well person. There is an abiding that can come into your life that can change everything, whereby God promises fruit. And you can't get it by watching the television. You can't get it in your novel. You can't get it from your Xbox One. You can't get it from from anything else. It only comes from him, and it's, it's the fruit that bears eternal salvation for other people. If you abide and remain in the words of Jesus, you will find yourself speaking and sharing the words of Jesus. If you are enamored with who he is, you will be busy being enamored with what he says, and you are going to share that he is the resurrection and the life, that he's the light of the world, that he is the door, that he is the bread of life, that he is the vine. You're going to want to share who he is with the world because you have abided in him. You're not going to be telling somebody about some stupid roster. You are going to be telling somebody about the word of life that has come down from heaven if you will choose to abide in him. Are we abiding? Are our glasses on? It's simple. It's so simple. Big Steve, Skiff, did you wear your glasses? It's so simple. Folks, are you in the word? Are you enamored with who Jesus is? You could spend years in the gospels and never get to the epistles. Finding out all about your Lord and Savior over and over and over again and abiding in him and remaining in him and wanting to be like him. Disciples are those who want to take in and live out the words of their master. That's what we're called to do. The only question is, will it work? Will it work for you? Israel had a problem. They had the words of God. They had the law of Moses. They had this relationship that they'd been brought into with God. It was a special relationship, much the way we have. Yet they failed to produce fruit. They were the vine. But they missed something that you and I will not miss if we abide in Jesus. Israel was enamored so much with God's love for them that they forgot about their mission in the world. But I promise you this. If you abide in the words of Jesus Christ, not only will you be thrilled with God's love for you, but because of who Jesus is, was, and will be, you will become enamored with Christ's love for the lost. It won't be about you anymore. You'll be glad. You'll be thrilled that Jesus loves you. But you'll remember that the I am statements and what he has said was all about the lost. He came so that people would not die in their sins. His mission was outward focused. The fruit was the fruit of salvation, and he wanted all of us to take part in bearing that fruit. You will be thrilled with God's love for you, but you will become enamored, overwhelmed by God's love for the lost.
And even though you had the same special status that Israel had, you'll have something they did not. You'll have Jesus to point the way. Let's pray. Altar team, you can come right now. Folks, we're going to take just a few minutes to pray in this place. And we do this for two reasons. One, that we can take in and respond to God and what he has said to us through our time together this morning. And also, because we always want to be available to make this place a house of prayer for any needs that you might have. But the call today for us, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, is this. God, are my glasses on? Have I been remaining in the words of your son or just sort of doing my own thing, hoping to have an impact, wanting to bear fruit, but not having what's necessary. I know that it can become true of me. I've admitted my fault and my failing here today. Other things that I remain in and steal my attention and my focus. Other things that I allow to become important. Other focuses in my life. If that could be true of you today, this is the perfect day to ask the Lord to help push those things to the side and ask for a resolve to seek Him. And today, if you want to do more than maybe just make this resolution in your heart, and, and you would like to say, God, I am moving towards you in humility and desire this morning. That's why we have something called an altar call. Not so we can see how many people liked the message. We have an altar call so people can say in humility, God, I'm just moving towards you and I want to change. If that's you this morning, in a moment as I pray, I'm going to welcome you to come. And like I have said, anybody who has any need this morning... You come, and there are people here to pray with you. You just go and stand right in front of them, and they'll pray with you in this place. But this altar is open this morning, and if God is speaking to your heart, would you come right now? Would you just come and, and talk to him right now, just in humility of spirit, just knowing that it's time to pray, knowing that it's time to seek him? There are people coming. You can come right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. This is between individuals and the Lord this morning. Lord, we want to have more of an impact for you. Lord, we want to bear fruit that leads to salvation. Lord, we want to do your will. See your kingdom come.